It's just so good for myself to have, to have you know, been able to get away and be refreshed. And uh, glory to God. But I want to continue to minister uh, to us all on the subject of living free from fear. Uh, praise God. It's, I haven't given the series a title or anything like that, but we're just dealing with this subject of fear. And you could turn in your Bibles from Jeremiah, if you're still there, over to the book of Psalms. We'll start there. So we're going to go to two openings this morning. We're going to start in the book of Psalms. 34, the 34th Psalm, and then we'll be heading over to Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter number 2. Glory to God. So Father, as we just uh, dive into the Word of God today, I thank you for the Word and the Spirit. Father, I thank you that God, what an opportunity with most of my congregation watching and taking part online this morning. God, what an opportunity for the word of knowledge to manifest. Uh, praise God that you could let me know something, if need be, by the Spirit about what they are going through. I can't see them, uh, but you see them and you're with them. And God, by your Spirit, we just so thank you for the gifts of the Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Ghost. Glory to God, enlightening the word of God to our minds and to our hearts. Father, we are attentive, alert, and we are ready to hear, to receive, and to be forever changed. Glory to God by the word that's being ministered. Father, I'm asking you, help me. Help me, Father. I'm just a, you know, so much of a vessel of earth and clay. And I need you. I need you to give me utterance. I need you to give me boldness. Glory to God. Help me to say what you won't said and to do what you won't done in these few minutes we have left together. And I just so thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's start uh, by reading just this a single verse in verse number four. The psalmist David said in Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from how many? Come on. God delivered him out of all his fears. You know, that tells me David dealt with more than one fear. You and I probably do too. You know, uh, because there's a devil out there, we're going to come in contact with probably every form of fear that he's invented and created out there at some point uh, in our life. And But I'm just so, this encourages me to know that David, way back there under the Old Testament, that he had a relationship with God. He had a covenant with God. And David's experience was that whenever he encountered a fear or a situation that would cause him to be tempted to be afraid, that his experience with God was, God delivered me. He set me free from. He brought me out of all my fears. So if David ended up delivered from all of his fears, how many fears did he have? He had no fear left. Well, I wonder if God was willing and able to deliver David from all his fears as a servant, how much more would God be willing to deliver you and I, his sons and daughters? I wonder how many of the fears that you might have brought in with you, you know, brought to the broadcast with you today, would God desire to deliver you from? And then, and this tells us something very important right here at the outset. How much fear is okay? None. No fear is okay. So the standard, and of course that's one of the mandates on this ministry, right, is to lift the standard, preach the standard of the word. Well, praise God, 
in the, in the area of fear, what's the standard that we need to be aiming at? No fear. None. And as we continue to get into this subject, one of my goals and one of my desires for all of us is that we really see uh, how dangerous fear is. What's attached to being afraid? What kind of authorization and access that gives to our adversary and the enemy? And that we would uh, have created within us a fresh and really strong intolerance for all fear. We shouldn't tolerate the mildest of worries. The, the most minutest phobias. We should not tolerate a single fear. Because all fear, every trace of it, every ounce of it, does not come from God. And the longer I live, the more I'm committed. If, if, if God isn't the author of it, if God's not behind it, I don't want any part of it. I, I just don't want any part of it. If, if it's not springing forth from the wellspring of God, if it's not something God wants me to have, I don't want any of it. And if it's coming from the devil, I really don't want any of it. Not, none of that belongs to me. Amen. And uh, so praise God. So we're going to continue talking about this. You know, fear is a terrible, terrible thing just in the area of uh, our mental life. You know, how many of you have had days that have been stolen from you? You look back that day, I lost that day. The devil stole that day from me because I spent that day tormented. I spent that day walking uh, the carpet, wearing out a track in the carpet, worrying about something. You know, every minute, every second, every day that goes by that we spend uh, in worry or anxiety or fear, is a day, it's part of our life, that the enemy succeeded in stealing from us. And oh my goodness, you know, the, the mental effects. You know, there are people uh, in uh, committed healthcare psychiatric facilities today, and how they end up there, how they end up so out there in their mind. Fear just took them over. Fear just took them over. And uh, so it's just, a, it's just a terrible, terrible thing uh, you know, it's a terrible thing to, uh, to, to be alone and to just be terrified uh, about, you know, darkness coming and, and being alone in a house and being afraid someone's going to break in, harm you, you know, anything like that. You just, you know, you don't rest well. It's just, it's just a terrible, terrible thing. But, you know, all of those manifestations of fear that are so bad, they don't even scratch the surface of really... Uh, revealing to us the true nature of fear and its dangers. Uh, when we realize that fear uh, is a very spiritual thing, then it'll even, I hope, again, I hope it'll even motivate you more to not tolerate any fear uh, in your life. And so go over to Hebrews chapter 2. And from, so there's a, a mental and emotional reason we want to live free from fear. We also know that if you worry enough, you yield to enough anxiety and panic that it will start manifesting in your physical body. Isn't that right? Uh, you know, from cardiac issues, hypertension, high blood pressure, uh, nervous disorders, all kinds of things. You know, you, you, you know, you damage your immune system, which everybody's talking about right now. 
You damage your immune system, meaning you're more vulnerable to viruses, more, more vulnerable to bacteria, cancers, different things like that. So, but the very root of fear, where it's most damaging, is not in our soul and not in our body, but in the spirit life, in the spiritual part of our life. So as you've turned to Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to read this in a moment. I, I kind of want to review a little bit of the ground that we've covered already. So number one, we've seen, I taught you last Sunday out at the drive-up service, that one of the things that, that makes fear so, so dangerous is that it represents an open door to the devil. And so every time, if you, if you yield to fear a little, you've opened the door of access to the enemy, to demons and evil spirits, to the devil himself, to strike your life a little. If you yield to a lot of fear, I mean, you've got a gaping, wide, open door of access, a breach in your divine hedge of protection where you render God unable legally to protect you and keep you blessed. And instead, now the enemy has legal right to touch your life, to strike your life, because you yielded to something that is from him and not from God, and that's fear. And so that's one of the things we've got, why we, we just cannot yield to it. I talked to you last week about uh, blessed is the man that does not take the counsel of the ungodly. Think about, you know, the ungodly doesn't necessarily mean that they're not a Christian and don't love Jesus. The counsel of the ungodly can come out of a lot of preachers' mouths. You know, I've already read on Facebook since I got back about pastors who go, well, thank God we can open legally, but I'm not because it's better to be healthy than to die. Well, I see, I told God, Lord, help me, but I don't think I will ever again make a statement so fear-laced as that. And, and that's just terrible coming out of a pastor's mouth. You said, my finances may be destroyed, but at least we can be healthy. <laughs> well, you can't be healthy if you're full of fear. That's my point. Amen. Uh, praise God. Now, why is that? It's because the fear gives the enemy an inroad. And again, I, we're not making fun at all uh, on this trip. You know, if you were a fly on the wall, you know, I disinfected my hands after I filled up my tank with gas. You know, we go into the convenience store, we go shopping around, we get back in the car and we spray our hands. I'm not against doing anything in the natural. I'm just saying that... You can do all the disinfecting and washing of your hands and hiding in your house and, and everything that fear drives people to do. But if the hedge of protection is down and God is not able to keep you, the devil's going to be able to get around your disinfectant. That's what I'm saying. And so what our focus, you know, wash your hands, do all of that stuff, that's fine. But our real focus needs to be, we've got to keep God's hedge of protection around our lives intact. And the only way we can do that is to not yield to fear. Amen. We saw last week what happened to Job when Job decided to entertain a fear. And Job didn't get scared. Fear didn't come upon him after the news came that he'd lost his children. He didn't say, news came and my, I found out my children had died in these storms and I became afraid. No, he entertained the fear while his kids were fine. He entertained the fear of losing all of his resources and material blessings while he was the richest guy around. 
And so in Job chapter 3, around verse 25, the whole thing is revealed of how in the world was Satan able to strike Job's life and bring this kind of destruction. It says that I fear to fear, and the thing I feared has come upon me. You know, had Job not gotten that turned around in his own life, got that door shut, no doubt eventually he too would have died from those attacks that had come against his body. And that tells me you can yield to fear and experience great loss in your life and there still be hope for you. What you have to do is close the door to fear. And the moment you do that, you repent. Say, Father, I'm sorry for being afraid. I, I, I repent for entertaining that worry and that fear. And the moment you do that, God forgives you for fearing. He forgives you for yielding to that and then the door is shut in the spirit realm. And you can just imagine your divine hedge of protection goes right back up. And when Job got that turned around in Job chapter, you know, 40, uh, 40 41, 42, it it's, tells the story of how Job got that turned around, how God uh, showed up in a whirlwind and helped, helped Job get this thing figured out. Well, in the end, Job had his hedge of protection put back in place and God restored to him double what was lost to him. Amen. And so, praise God, I hope you're getting a little bit of a hint that it's just vitally important that we understand the spiritual ramifications of how fear works and what will happen to us if we open the door uh, to fear. Praise God. So, let's look at this, Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 14 and 15, spend a little time on this, uh, this passage here. So here the writer says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, referring to Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same, meaning he also uh, took part in flesh and blood in becoming a man. Now notice that, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, I brought you here because what I want to talk about for a few minutes is the granddaddy of all fears. You know, there are spiders, and then there's the granddaddy of all spiders, right? You know, whatever that you would want to call that, the tarantula, whatever. Amen. Well, there, there are fears, and then there is the master fear or the granddaddy of all fears. And it's the fear of death. The fear of death. Now, notice here, there, there's this, these two verses are rich with instruction and knowledge and revelation for us, so let's, let's be sure to get it. Notice that there was a force that the devil held over humanity until Jesus came and delivered us. That there was a force that the devil used to hold people, human beings, in bondage for how long? Verse 15 says, all their lifetime. All their lifetime, Satan was able to hold people in bondage through a force, through an agency that he controlled. What was that force? Fear. But it's this master fear, the fear of death. The fear of death. And Jesus came and took on human flesh, became a man, and notice it says, through death, praise God, 
He destroyed, amen, him who had the power of death. I like that word, had. Had. You know, as it relates to you and I and all born-again people, Satan does not have the power of death anymore. He does not have the right, Brother Jerry, anymore to hold us in bondage. And the way Satan holds people in bondage all of their, think about this, all their life. Let me read this to you from the God's Word translation, verse 15. It says, In this way, He, Jesus, would free those who were slaves all of their lives because they were afraid of dying. Now, I call this the master fear because every other fear is just simply the offspring or the offshoot of this master fear. Right? So the fear of being rejected is actually a little baby, a little offspring, an offshoot of the fear of death. The death of your reputation, the death of your popularity, the death of you being accepted by someone you want to be accepted by. Think about the fear of sickness. It's very much akin to the fear of death. Why do you get afraid of getting sick? Well, I want to die. You know, I had a little girl tell me that on Facebook. You got me, Pastor. I just don't want to die. Well, see, Satan is holding this precious human being in bondage through the master fear of death. And she will stay a slave. Everyone will. Not making fun of anybody. Everyone will be a slave to the devil. You know, legally, you could have your name etched in the Lamb's Book of Life and still live your earthly life a slave if you don't walk in the light of this action that Jesus took. He came to deliver you and to deliver me from the master fear. I mean, think about it. I mean, if you're not afraid of dying, what else would you be afraid of? Well, I can't go camping. I don't get bit by a spider. Why? <laughs> Why? You're afraid, you're afraid of dying. Everyone that will not travel on an airplane, they will not get on an airplane. It's not the fear of flying. It's the fear of dying. Nobody's afraid of flying. They're afraid of, die. They're afraid of dying, right? That would keep you from uh, going skydiving. The fear of dying. You know, people walk around with a dread on their lives. A, a, a ominous, sad, heavy depression on their lives as they think about getting older. What is that? The master fear still attempting to control you, to render you a slave. Right? Well, the only reason you'd fear getting older is because it's going to bring you to the place of dying. And I love what Keith Moore said, a, a minister I like. He said, uh, Christians, I mean Christians really need to get it through their heads that there's a whole lot worse things that could happen to you than dying. Now that takes a renewed mind, doesn't it? Because you think, there isn't anything worse that could happen to me than dying. Oh my gosh, you haven't. Friend, there are many, 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 many worse things that I could think of that are so far worse than dying. How about going to hell? 
Jesus said, Jesus said, Do not fear him who could kill the body. But after that has no more that he could do. Fear him who has the power to cast your soul into hell where the worm dieth not and there's snatching of teeth. So dying physically is not the nearly, nearly the worst thing that could happen to a human being. You know, for me, as a Christian, I'd rather die and go to heaven than live afraid. Living afraid to me would be worse than dying. You know, Paul had to talk himself into living in Philippians chapter 2. He said, you know, Philippians, Christian believer, I'm in a strait betwixt two. Now, the Cody train, your translation would probably say, I'm between a rock and a hard place. Then he went on and said, having a desire to depart. Now, that word depart is just a nice King James word for die. Right? Because really, that's for a Christian, that's what dying is. Dying is departing. Dying is going home. Dying is seeing Jesus. Isn't that what you want? Don't you want to see Jesus? Don't you want to walk on streets of gold? Don't you want to be reunited with your loved ones? Don't you want to worship at the feet of the Father? Don't you want to see the heavenly city? Don't you want to eat of that heavenly fruit? Well, you, you know what? If the Lord tells you is coming, you know what you're going to have to do to do that? Die. Depart. And Paul actually said, I have this desire to die, to depart, and to be with Christ. What did he say? Which is far better. Yet what he was conflicted about is, I need to be here though on the earth for you. Then he ended that by saying, I'm going to stay on because I know you need me. So Paul, he didn't have this mindset that the worst thing that could happen to him was dying. When he talked about his death in 2 Timothy, he talked about the crown he was about to receive. He talked about the reward he was about to receive. He's talking about being thrust into the presence of the one who loved him and saved him and, and, and couldn't wait to get there. But it, it'd be far worse, believer, you know, to, to not walk out the will of God. To me, that's worse than dying. I, I want to live in the will of God. I want to do the will of God. I want to fulfill His plan. I want to fulfill His purpose. Amen? So again, uh, what we were talking about here, notice this, it says in verse 14, that through death, Jesus might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So notice, through the fear of death, that's what enabled him to keep people a slave in life. You with me in that? So it's through fear that Satan can hold you in bondage. So to live free, you're going to have to live delivered from even the master of all fears. You know, people are afraid about losing their job. Why? You're afraid of the death of your finances. Right? So again, I think you get my point. The reason that I call this fear the fear of death that it is the master or the chief fear is because all of its little children are connected to fear. Okay, so all the little fears out there, 
are connected to the master fear, which is of death. And the fear of death, is it, it comes straight from the devil. So here's the thing. You know, when you, when you yield to divine love and you operate in faith, that connects you to God. And when you're connected to God, you're, you're hooked up with a pipeline of life, peace, joy, blessing, prosperity, health. That's what you want. But when you yield to fear, it connects you to Satan and death and sickness and disease and failure and tragedies and darkness and every other thing that he could bring into your life. That is why fear is so deadly. That's why fear is so dangerous. Now, I'll just read this scripture here to you. You could write it down. Uh, I want you to notice how fear entered in, how, how, how it began to dominate our first parents. How did this fear of death, how did the chains of the fear of death get on every human being to begin with? Well, through the fall of our first parents, right? Through Adam and Eve's sin and transgression. I want you to think about that. You know, in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, we see, we see Adam and Eve, they're, they're walking in paradise. They're living in Eden. And God is showing up, apparently, every afternoon. You think about the divine presence of Almighty God showing up in some form in the Garden of Eden, and you're walking with Him. You're fellowshipping with Him. You're, you're talking to Him. You're enjoying everything that God is, life and joy and peace and blessing and every, all of the riches of that. And then through one act of sin, through one act of disobedience, this uh, passage is Genesis 3, 9 and 10. Genesis 3, 9 and 10. It says, And the Lord God called unto Adam. Now, uh, at this point in the story, they had already fallen. And notice the moment they, they fell... They uh, realized they were naked. They began to put some fig leaves together and they hid themselves. And the Lord God was walking in the afternoon. And verse 9 says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. Think about that. You know, the day before, when they heard the voice of God, what do you think their response would have been? Exhilaration, joy, uh, excitement. He's here. Oh my God, he's here. We get to walk with him again. Let's go talk to him. Let's go spend time with Abba. Let's go spend some the afternoon with our Creator. What's he going to show us today? What is he going to say? What are we going to experience? And then the next day, after one act, they hear that same precious voice. And it strikes fear into them. He said, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now if you went on to read verse 11, of course God knew. He said, what have you done? Have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat the fruit thereof? And then of course Adam kind of hilariously goes, happy Mother's Day. She did it. <laughs> and then she turns around and says, he did it. Talk about the devil. And, and so this curse, but I want you to notice one of the very first evidences of the effects of the fall was fear. Right? And so the moment they yielded to the devil, fear became, became their, they became subject to bondage through it. 
That's terrible, isn't it? But if you notice again in our, in our scripture, it says that Jesus, how many know Jesus has already come? He's already come. He's already confronted the devil. And it says that Jesus took part in flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy. Now I like this word destroy. The word destroy means to be re- to render completely useless or idle. Amen. It means to become or make of none effect. To become or make or none effect. To abolish, it means to put down. Have you ever had to put down an animal? You know what that means. You're just going to put that down. So in other words, that animal's got no more life to it. And then E, to destroy or to deliver from. And this is the word that Jesus used in the Greek when he said, I came that I might destroy the one who through the fear of death held human beings in bondage all their lives. Praise God. And so we need to know this. We do not have to live in fear. We're not supposed to be in fear. We're not supposed to be entertaining any form of fear at all. Jesus already came and confronted the devil and rendered not just the fear of death, but the devil himself rendered him entirely idle or useless to make him of nothing or of no effect to abolish him. You might use the word cancel him out. Amen? To put him down, to destroy him, to deliver him. Here's a scripture you should go to. This reminds me of 1 John 3. 1 John 3 and verse 8. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, David, we're going to be like him, right? I sought the Lord, and he delivered me from all my fears. Praise God. Can I get an amen in the sanctuary here? Thank you. Praise God. All right, let's, uh, let's read 1 John 3, 7 and 8. It says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth or does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy, come on, the works of the devil. This is already done. This is an accomplished fact. Jesus already came. He already defeated the devil. And he has destroyed his works. And holding people in bondage to fear, being afraid, is one of his works. Now this word destroys a little bit different word. It has a similar meaning, but it means means to untie or to loosen. In other words, we're not tied to anything the devil would want to bring into our life. It's not inevitable. So many Christians still think it's inevitable to get old and sick. Well, it is inevitable to get old, but it is not inevitable to get sick. Amen. Amen. Uh, You know, uh, there are millions and millions and millions of Christians who think that some fear is good. Yeah. That they would would, uh, passionately disagree with much of what I'm saying. But I'm reading scriptures. David didn't have any fear. He wasn't led by fear. I was thinking about this last night. You know, uh, all of Israel's trained soldiers, including their leader, the king, were hidden away in ditches or in a tent 
while one guy, now he was a big guy, but he was just one guy, a nine-foot giant named Goliath, came out every day for a month and a half, right, for 40 days, and getting all big and just like a devil, just like a bully, right, big facade and big mouth. And that's what Goliath was. He had a big facade, big sword, and a big mouth. And he was intimidating, no doubt, to look at. And when David came to bring uh, his brothers pizza and soda, <laughs> to find out because daddy wanted to know how his boys were doing. Bring these boys some Domino's pizza and some Pepsi and bring me news. And where did he find them? All in the ditch, cowering in fear. And when David brought up the thought of, I'll go fight the giant, I'll go confront the giant, what, would, what do you think the soldiers, the council, would have been? I can hear him say, now David, use wisdom. Don't we hear that a lot right now among Christians? David, now listen, you should really use wisdom. You're a shepherd. You have no training with warfare. We're trained and we're in the ditch. Because... No, 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 I'm not a, no, nobody would have told you they were scared. Right? No, 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 no soldier, no, no man down in a ditch is going to say, oh, you know, really, David, listen, I'd be out there myself, but I'm just waiting on the order from the king. You know, I'm just following orders here. And uh, he's going to come up with a good battle plan. You know, and, but right now, we're just using wisdom. And that is nothing more than spiritual gobbledygook and a cloak for their fear. Because no one's going to, probably going to be honest enough to say, I'm scared. I am too chicken. I am not going out there. Right? Because people got too much pride for that. So people cloak and justify their yielding to fear in uh, words of wisdom. But who really operated in wisdom that day? Isn't it, isn't it wisdom to live by faith? Isn't it wisdom to not walk around scared and terrified? Even by a legitimate foe that poses a very real danger? Didn't, wasn't it wisdom that led David into Saul's tent that said, I will fight the giant? And then King Saul, if you remember the story in 1 Samuel 17, he tried to use the wisdom argument too. He said, oh, listen, man, you're small. That guy's big. He's nine feet tall. Did you see him out there? He's really big. You're small. You're skinny. You're ready. And then he finally said, okay, but if you're going to go use wisdom, please at least take my armor and my sword. Meaning I'm not going to use it. I ain't going out there. Why? Because he's huge. And but see, the normal, unrenewed, worldly mind would say, yeah, that fear's keeping them alive. There's no way they can win. They need to be hidden down there in the ditch. That's where God wanted them. After all, God would want us to use wisdom. He would want us to use our brains. No, He wants you to walk in the light of His Word. He wants you to believe that He's big enough to keep you and to help you, and to give you victory. No matter what giant you're facing, it was the height of wisdom. It was uh, undiluted, concentrated, divine wisdom operating in David that said, 
I will go fight this giant. It was wisdom to walk in faith. It was wisdom to know I have a covenant with God and me plus God is a lot bigger than that nine foot giant. That's what wisdom looks like. It was wisdom in David's faith that got him out of the ditch and running into the fire, running straight to a very real danger. Well, I don't know if that's wisdom. That's, that's not only wisdom, it's faith. And that's what God wants from his people today. Faith. Not that we're big enough. I don't have faith in my immune system or in my youth to overcome the coronavirus. My faith is in him. Him. His ability to keep me. His faithfulness. His love manifested for me to keep me and what I hold dear, which is you also, and my wife and my children. Amen. You know, over the years, I've been just as tempted and sometimes too quick to yield to fear in some areas. You know, as a dad, you know, uh, you know, every time I add a staff person on, like we just added Sister Stacy, uh, I deal with the added thought of, I got another mouth to feed. You know what I mean? I, I got another life that's, you know, in a measure, you know, that I'm responsible for. But see, I'm really not. Not if God told me to hire him. And if God told me to, and, and God's truth out, hasn't he, Sister Stacy? Totally proved it out. Hired her to run a daycare, and daycares can't open. <laughs> right? Her income stream, and my mind was coming from the, from the daycare. Uh, we didn't have it in the budget. And you know what? God didn't act like that was a big deal to him. <laughs> he said, do it. And I mean, every time, when I went into the ministry myself, I had to deal with this fear. How, I'm, not, I'm not working for a paycheck. How, how, how is this going to work? It, the way it's going to work is God is going to do what he does. God is going to take care of you. And over many decades now, and I'm still learning, and I still have to resist the thought. I still have to resist the fear when it comes of not having enough. That's a huge fear. Listen, God doesn't want you to be walking around with that fear. That's the fear of death at the root of that. Amen? And it's not from God. It's from the devil. And if we yield to that fear, you know what happens? He's able to bring to pass the very thing that you're fearing. And then you, you, people go out and out and talk like an expert. See, I just knew it. No, you're working a spiritual law that's really working against you. So I really like the song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Why? I am a child of God. Why is it that you and I don't have to be afraid of anything? I am a child of God. It means I am the offspring of the one who created all things, sustains all things, has all power, is everywhere, has all knowledge, and intensely loves me and is on my side, is on your side. You know, just looking at the clock here, I got pages and pages of notes on this, but, you know, just to, the, the antidote for this fear is the love of God. It's the love of God. Let's go ahead and go there before we run out of time. You're in 1 John chapter 3. Just look at chapter 4. And I know this verse is uh, familiar uh, to us, but that doesn't mean we're walking in all the light of it. Praise God. And um, 
Let's look at verses 17 and 18. 1 John chapter 4, 17 and 18. So the Apostle John writes and says, Herein is our love made perfect. Or Now that word perfect means to be made complete. In other words, it has come to full manhood or to full maturity. And so herein is our love made mature or complete, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. What a statement. Now notice verse 18. There is one-eighth measure. No. How much, how much fear is there? There is no fear. Everyone say no fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, or the Amplified would say perfected love, matured love, a love that has been brought to completion. Now, I'll tell you, I'm not there yet. I'm still being perfected in my experience and my faith in and my understanding of the love of God for me. How about you? And just just for me going forward, this is going to be a point of meditation for me next week and going forward. Is I want to... Remember that prayer in Ephesians where Paul is praying that they might know the love of Christ. And that word know means it's, it's, well, how do I say it? That word know is in the Greek an, a word that describes intimacy physically between a husband and wife. So it's an experiential intense. It's not a head knowledge that God, you know, maybe you're sitting here today or watching and, and you have head knowledge that God loves me. But that doesn't, what Paul wants us to have is the experience of it. The personal, intimate, real experience of the love of God in our lives. That's what Paul's praying for in Ephesians chapter 3. And as we experience it, as we develop faith in God's love for us, when that love, amen, comes to a mature and complete state in our lives, you won't have any fear left. Because this verse says, there is no fear in love. The Amplified says, dread does not exist. There is nothing you dread when you fully realize God loves you. You don't dread dying. You don't dread getting older. You certainly don't fear sickness and disease. You wouldn't fear your spouse walking off and leave you. Now, that'd be terrible, right? That'd be, that would just be terrible. But you know who's never going to leave you? Who's never going to forsake you? That's the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, the wonderful Holy Spirit. You know, I, I, you know, insecurity is a fear. And it plagues many, many people's lives. I was thinking about a young man who I care a lot about and... Uh, You know, so far at this point in his walk, all the evidence I have is that he is completely, sadly dominated by insecurity. And that insecurity destroys every good thing God brings, every good relationship that comes. You know, when a good relationship comes along and you're so insecure you're afraid to lose it, you know what you do? You lose it. You act in ways that are so unattractive and unbecoming You you know, I used to be deeply insecure. And when I was dating, I I just ran a good 
number of girls off because you smother when you're insecure. Watch it. Where you in? Where you going? Where will you be back? Who's going with you? <laughs> Some of those questions are fine, especially in a marriage relationship. But you know, turn on your tracker, and you know, it's just you no. Know, you're insecure, dude. Right? Ladies just dominated by insecure and totally robbed of a proper intimate relationship with their spouse that God would bless. But they're so insecure about their body, so insecure about their looks, so insecure about how, you know, whatever. All of this is fear. Amen? And we just need to let the Holy Spirit uh, graciously highlight the fears, the form of the master fear. See, he caters, Satan caters fear. He knows you, Brett. He knows me. And so he customizes and caters fearful thoughts and fearful attacks just for me because he knows my weaknesses and my susceptibilities. The answer for all of this, friend, is to gain a greater knowledge and experience of the love of God. Because the love of God, the Amplified says, turns fear out of the doors and expels every trace of terror. Every trace of it. What gets rid of it? The love of God gets rid of it. The love of God was so operating in the Apostle's John life, he, he wasn't even afraid of getting dropped into a boiling vat of oil which showed up as faith, and that faith connected him. The love of God connected him to faith, and the faith in God kept him protected even from that. It's the same type of thing that, that kept Daniel in the lion's den. And what caused, you know, David to run, a little skinny, red-headed, curly, ruddy, inexperienced sheep herder with nothing but a leather pouch and five smooth stones at an experienced nine-foot giant with a sword so big I couldn't pick it up today. <laughs> Is that wisdom? It's not earthly wisdom. But see, David was a passionate worshiper. And he knew God loved him. And he believed that God would enforce the covenant that he had with him. And faith and the love of God and the power of God brought Israel great victory that day. Amen? So we want to let the love of God dominate us. We don't want to let fear uh, get... So let's, let's close with a thought. Um, so we understand now how dangerous fear is. That it's a legal open door the devil uses to bring bondage into our lives. How does fear actually gain entrance into our lives. How do we actually, well, we do it by yielding to it. So here's something you need to understand. When physical sickness and symptoms attack my body, you know what I do? I don't go, I don't throw up the white flag and go, I lost. I failed. The curse is on me. I'm sick. No, 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 no. When symptoms show up in my body, you know what I do? I resist them. I feel them. I, you know, you feel the sinus congestion, you feel the, whatever the symptom may be, the pain in a joint, whatever it is. But does that mean I've yielded to sickness? Of course not. Does that mean sickness is winning? No. What you have to do is resist what you feel. I call those lying symptoms, and I go to 
raising my shield of faith and standing on the Word of God. And you know what I do? I run off those, I run off physical symptoms through my faith in God. All of us are going to feel fear. Every one of us, our minds are going to feel that, right? Our emotions, even your body, right? You, you, we all know the phrases, right? The hair stood up on the back. Of, that's your physical senses responding to the presence of fear. Does that mean, though, that you've yielded to it? No, of course not. The only way you could actually yield to any form of fear is to talk it, talk in line with it, or act in line with it. If you refuse to talk in line, to give voice to that fear, then it will die. That fear will not have its way in your life. You, you will feel it. We don't get to walk around and not feel the presence of fear. We don't get to do that till we go to heaven. But it doesn't mean you've yielded to it. And so what you have to do is, you can't just yield to it for 30 minutes and then go home and cry. Right? You have to fiercely, steadfastly resist what you feel. I refuse to talk fear. I am not. You know, the devil, he loves to bring the questions. That's how he gets fear in us. He, he will suggest questions like, how are you going to? So he loves the, the word How? How? How's the church going to make it? How are we ever going to get back? Right? Uh, you know, he loves the what ifs. Loves that. What if I open my church and someone gets sick? What if I lose my job? What if I get sick? What if I die? What, what if? What if? And the devil just hits you with that. How? What you going to do? What if? Listen, all of those questions have an answer. There is a fear answer. Okay, right then you yielded to fear. And now the door is open. When you voice it. Or you could say, my God keeps me. I recognize you, you foul spirit of fear. I'm not yielding to you. I'm going to walk in the peace of God. My God loves me. He's not going to let anything bad happen to me. He's providing for me. In fact, He's moving me forward. He's promoting me. <laughs> you could talk that. Or again, people act. When you yield to fear, when you act in line with it. So you want to travel. And that would mean getting on an airplane. But you don't. Okay, you just acted on that fear. And you won't die flying because you're not flying, but you might die something else because you legally authorized the devil to work destruction in your life because you acted on a fear. <laughs> this, I, I just, this is powerful stuff. You know, so many I wonder sometimes, how did this happen to that Christian? How, how, did, how did the devil get in and work this? And you know, so many people, they appear to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And when you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know what happened? Bad things happen. Well, how does any person get in the wrong place? How does any person get in the wrong place at a wrong time? 
Did God lead them by the Spirit to the wrong place? No. Did He lead them to get on a bus that was going to get hijacked and all the hostages killed? No. No. So how do these things happen? People grab fear by the hand and they do what fear tells them to do. And if fear says, you better go over there, and you go over there, you know what there is? Wrong place. Wrong time. A lot of people are led by fear. What they do, what they don't do. Whether they give, do they not give. They go in the ministry, they don't go in the ministry. Um, they launch out in this business or not. So much of the time, it's what they're afraid of that makes that decision and not what God is saying. You want to live your life, I promise I'm closing here, you want to live your life in the right place, at the right time, on that preordained, pre-made ready path that God has called all of us to walk, that he's prepared and made ready for all of us to live. But you have to be led onto that path. And God is never, ever going to lead any of us in line with fear. Never. Right? So you think about the Lord is my shepherd. If the Lord is my shepherd, what's going to happen? I'll never lack. If, if we walk into a place of terrible lack in our lives and families, how do we get there? Well, we let go of the hand of the shepherd because he sure didn't lead us over there. That's why we shouldn't blame God. Fear may have driven you over there. Worry, dread, what ifs. People trying to build walls of protection around themselves. Financial walls. Vaccinated walls. Whatever it may be. But the devil's not scared of your little fear-made wall. He'll just bust right through it. You know, I, I'm a, I, I know a person once ministered to someone who slept in a plastic bubble. That's how scared this person was of an arachnid or a bug or something getting them in the night. That's just terrible. And listen, don't laugh. Well, nobody's laughing. No, nobody's ought to make fun. We've all done dumb stuff <laughs> because we were scared. But you know what? As uh, we prayed for her and laid hands on this person, they were instantly delivered. And that is so far removed. They live in a different life today. They're no longer subject to that bondage because Jesus, through his power, set, set this person free from that fear. Think about the life they're living today compared to that. That's just awesome. And that's, that's what God wants for everyone. He's not making fun of any person who's gripped with anxiety or fear. He just wants to set you free. But it's a big, big deal. You know, be thinking about who is leading me? You got time for one more verse? What's the answer to that question? Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I know we're unpracticed in church for a little bit, so. But when pastor says you got time for one more scripture, the answer is always, well, yeah, I think so. Right? Okay. Romans chapter 8. We'll close right here. I had never really uh, connected these two verses um, together. Um, but this was brought to my attention this week. Talking about, you know, who's leading you right now? Who's dictating your decisions? Is fear or is, is faith? Is the devil or is it God? So notice these two contrasting scriptures and then we'll close. Verse 14 and 15 in Romans 8. 
says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Who are we supposed to be led by? Come on, we're, we're sons of God, all of us, male and female. We're sons of God. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit. Now notice the very next verse. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. So notice the contrast. The contrast. The, how do you say it? The point of uh, contrast here. Say it that way. You have sons of God that ought to be being led by the Spirit. But many are still being held in bondage by what? The spirit of fear. The spirit of fear. This verse says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now again, that's love language, isn't it? I'm not going back. I'm not going to live my life subject to the spirit of fear. I'm not going back to that bondage. Why? I have received the spirit of my father into my life. He is Abba is daddy in Hebrew. So the, the answer again for you know, this bondage that holds so many of us you know, in that through fear is daddy God. Daddy God. The Spirit of God. I've been adopted by God. I'm in His family. And bless God, I'm going to be led by the Spirit. I'm going to be led by the Spirit in every decision I take, big and small. Do I go on this trip? Do I get on that airplane? Do I launch out in this business? Do I take this step? Do I go out to eat? You know, whatever the decisions may be that uh, you're facing out there, let the Spirit of God make it. Let the Spirit of God lead you and not fear. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, Father, we just come to you today and we just so thank you that you are love. You are love. And the Bible says that anyone who fears has not been made perfect in love because God is love. Father, we've all done it. We ask you today to forgive us for yielding to fear of any kind, of any type. We know we can see now more clearly that when we've done that, it it connects us to the devil and death and the curse. And we don't want that. You don't want that. So we just close the door in Jesus' name by asking you to forgive us for every fear-laced word we've ever spoken, for every action of fear that we have taken, wherever we have been tricked and beguiled or just overcome by the pressures and we yielded to fear. Father, forgive us. Forgive me. I ask you to forgive me, Father, for that in the name of Jesus and to cleanse me and cleanse us of that act of unrighteousness. God, we have you in our life. We have no reason to fear. And God, now minister life and comfort and your joy and your peace to every person into the sound of my voice. And God, this week, I just pray that God, you give me, you'll give all of us a, a deeper revelation of the love you have for us that delivers us from all fear. God, grant me that revelation. God, I pray as Paul did that we would come to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that we might know and be able to comprehend what is the width and the length and the depth and the height of the love of Christ in our lives, and that we would live this week totally delivered and free from the spirit of fear. In Jesus' name, and everybody said,
Amen, amen. Okay, praise.